Morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity Ashu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And today we are going to talk, speak to um, the director of a film, A Place at the Table, which is going to be having its. Um, Place the table, African American pioneers of Silicon Valley. Let's get all. <laughs> and um, uh, Mrs. Uh, Kathy Cotton is going to be joining us shortly to talk about her film, which is a official selection of the San Francisco Black Film Festival uh, 21, 21st anniversary. Uh, this weekend is just starting. Um, yesterday evening opened, and it continues through Sunday. Um, has men- multiple venues. Um, African American Art and Culture Complex, um, the uh, venue that was um, Black, uh, what is it, the uh, Fillmore Heritage Center, and um, and also the space that used to be Yoshi's on Fillmore, 1330 Fillmore, is uh, another venue, and then also in the same building um, as the Burial Clay Theater at the African American Art and Culture Complex, there is the Nia Room. So, um, and I, there might be another venue, but I'm not sure. I think those are those are the three that I I remember. And uh, yeah, some really really wonderful wonderful selections. And um, we're gonna have another director on with um, the uh, person who is um, featured in the film. Uh, one of uh, a person who's not um, a stranger to our airways, uh, Charles Curtis Blackwell, uh, the God. Given Talent, the creative life of Charles Curtis Blackwell, is also um, going to be screening on Saturday afternoon. And this Jeff M. Um, Giordano is the director, and that film is so wonderful because, you know, you know that Charles is wonderful. So the film, of course, is, is going to be equally wonderful. So what I'm going to do now is uh, I'm going to play the trailer for um, Mrs. Cotton's film, and uh, and then we will hopefully have her in the studio to to talk about the work. Um, so let me find it. <laughs> and I'm going to play the longer longer uh, version of the film. But maybe before I do that, maybe I'll introduce her to you. Maybe I'll read her bio. Um, yeah, let me get that for you. Um, 
Yeah, because um, the film is just really, really, really marvelous. Uh, I mean, really, really, really marvelous. And um, yeah, darn it, <laughs> I am not finding her bio. So, um, yeah, I just had her bio. That's weird. Oh, here it is. Uh, Mrs. Cotton is working to bring the history of African Americans and technology past and present. Um, she began a career as a human resources professional, working first for several startup companies and ending her career at Hewlett Packard. She left HP and created her own consulting firm. While working as a consultant, she created video and PowerPoint presentations for training. She enhanced her skills in the field of videography by attending classes at the Digital Media Academy held on the Stanford University campus. She created many vanity films for friends and family, which led her to her first documentary of the cover band, The Cheese Balls. She completed the, a documentary for Delta Sigma Theta of Portland, Oregon, and the Head Start Program, 50th Anniversary Celebration in Portland, Oregon. A Place at the Table is the first film produced for the Silicon Valley Project, Black Project. It is Mrs. Cotton's intent to bring the history of Silicon Valley to the world through digital storytelling at its best. So, yeah. Oh, and I think that might be her. Let me see. Good Hello? morning. Is this Mrs. Cotton? Yes, it is. Hello? Oh, well, yes, you heard me talking about you in the film. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me uh, give you a call. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Oh, you're quite welcome. Yeah, your film is just marvelous, and I um, I just finished your bio, and um, and so now I was going to actually play the longer trailer, if you don't mind, the two-minute one. Oh, uh, I, I'm at a oh, conference, you? and I don't... I don't have access to any of that. Any of that no, material. I said, no, I I could no, I wanted to play and I was asking, is that all right oh. if I play the two minute one versus the forty five oh, seconds? Because the two Absolutely. minute one goes through all of the people that you profile and I think that's a really great one and then we can start mm -hmm. talking about, about the film and in the screen. Oh sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, super. People talk about Silicon Valley, they talk about Apple, Steve Jobs. Hewlett Packard, and the garage, there have been many African Americans who have made a significant contribution to Silicon Valley. I want you to meet some of these extraordinary people. This is the Silicon Valley Black Project. Mary Sutton, first African American female engineer at Lockheed Marietta. Barbara Haley Steele, co-founder of Baynet, the first networking group. Baynet was never meant to be social. John Hill, affirmative action expert. Maddie Hill, a determined and talented city clerk whose math skills launched her career as an engineer. Daryl Parker, whose marketing and managerial skills served him well at IBM. Do you have the entree? Who's going to speak for you? Wilbur Jackson, a retired IBM executive. So a lot of times your mentor is someone who's behind the scenes speaking on your behalf. Marguerite Daniels, utilize the opportunities at Lockheed. Yeah, I stand on the shoulders of uh, people that entered Lockheed before me. Brandon Jones, a newcomer and working at Google. 
coming here and putting a bit of my time here is only going to increase your value. You know, that's really going to be beneficial uh, career-wise. Michael Beasley, former chairman of Rocket Software. I've always believed in learning. I believe that's the great equalizer. Ernest Priestley, an entrepreneur. When you're around all these, the startup culture, if you, when you see that, you say, gosh, you know, I, I want to create this thing myself. This film is about the untold story of the contributions made in Silicon Valley by talented African Americans. This is the Silicon Valley Black Project. Yeah. So, Mrs. Cotton, um, I uh, in your bio you talk about um, how um, you um, you know you're an insider. You were working for Hewlett Packard, and um, and you talk about also how you um, started. Uh, you know, first with I guess family and friends um, uh, using you know your 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 learning around digital storytelling to to tell stories for for friends and family and and also some other uh, you know organizations and and mm-hmm. this here though is 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 a film you know it's your first film um, and and you just tell so many remarkable stories I think I if I remember correctly did I count like nine people. That that are um, profiled. Um, At least I think there's nine or ten. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And then and then and then they are talking about other people. So I mean, because some people are ancestors now, they're no longer with us, and so they you couldn't interview them. And but their history is really important with regards to sort of laying the ground for what is now known as you know Silicon Valley and really the epicenter of of um technology in the nation and maybe in the world. And and I just love it that you have, you know, women and men and and multiple generations. You know, you've got the son and the father. I mean, it's just amazing. And, I mean, wow. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how this, this film came to be and, and, and your own, um, you know, sort of uh, – being being one of those people that that is actually on the ground in this place and um, yeah and 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 are you from Silicon Valley? Are you from the area? Did you get recruited and come out here somewhere else? <laughs> okay, that's a lot of questions, but I'll start with no. I'm not from anywhere else but California. I was born and raised in Stockton, California. Went to uh, San Francisco State and then uh, finished at San Jose State. And uh, went to work for a startup in Silicon Valley in 1976. And um, at about 1977, there was a group that formed of, uh, it was called Peninsula Association of Black Personnel Administrators. Our trustee leader was Ken Coleman, who is known all over the Bay Area in in the tech world and outside of the tech world as the godfather almost of uh, Silicon Valley. He's one of these guys who, if you want to know what's going on or find out where there's funding or what kind of jobs are available uh, or what technology is, is strong right now, that kind of guy, he's the guy. And it's it's his personality, really. He's just one of these open books uh, who is concerned about the black community and Making sure, he wants to make sure that we all are successful. So he started this group with, along with about seven other, uh, what we call human resources people now. We used to call ourselves personnel people, 
And that was the core uh, of people who did a lot of the recruiting and bringing people in, nurturing them, uh, making sure they got the right kind of training. If anything, uh, they needed to know about the Valley. We were there to help them uh, get housing, um, whatever they needed. We were, were there for them, for our new recruits. In addition to the fact that we were there for each other. And so if I needed to know about uh, a job opening in another company or uh, how to even describe a job, if I was so new at a position, I could call on one of these people and say, okay, how do I write this job description? And they would have that information for me. So, uh, And it became such a strong group that if any of us applied for a job at any company in the Valley that had any worth, and they saw that name on our resume, it was almost assured that you would get the job. So that was that was my first introduction or my introduction to Silicon Valley, and I stayed with them for many years. Uh, and uh, the group grew to about two or 300 people and um, was very, very influ- influential throughout the Valley. I don't think it exists anymore. There may be something like it, but... Um, it would be hard to find one like that. But from there, I became, um, I started my own company after I left Hewlett Packard, and I was using film to do a lot of my training. Um, I went into the high schools and would get uh, the little thespians, the little acting students, and they'd act out a scene uh, that would demonstrate some type of sexual harassment in the schools and, uh, you know, play that back. Uh, throughout the the district and showing how, say, a girl can harass a guy or a guy can harass a girl. And um, got really interested in the film industry only because one of the reasons was that um, that is what young people do. They watch things. They listen to podcasts. They, uh, They rarely read a book. They listen to the book. You know, and so I'm thinking, boy, that this is the, the look of the future. So I got involved in film, uh, film, you know, development. I went to Stanford uh, summer school and took up uh, documentary uh, les- lessons on how to create a documentary. Took uh, in- classes on sound and color and editing and and I did that for about 11 years and each year I would get better and better at it. This really wasn't my first um, documentary. I did one for the Head Start program in Portland, Oregon and right. um, they were very, they were very very pleased about it. So that gave me the <laughs> the you know, it gave me the the um, courage to try this other but I'll tell you how I got into this one. I was watching CNN quite a while back. Um, this woman, uh, I can't remember her name. She's a, a, a she's a Hispanic descent, but she's half half African American. She was saying <clears throat> she asked these people in Silicon Valley. She's doing a whole segment on Silicon Valley, and she says, uh, "Why aren't there any black people in this room talking to these venture capitalists?" And this guy, you know straight face said there aren't any african-american engineers mm-hmm. in silicon valley yeah i'm i nearly croaked mm-hmm. because so that was my that was part of my life for 20 something years is bringing engineers in so i thought you know someone has to tell the story and uh i couldn't think of anybody in the business that i could get to uh that would you know i don't know that many people in business so i decided 
I'll do this myself. And so I contacted uh, my friends. Uh, they then sent me to their friends. Um, if you see the film, you'll see I'm in someone's uh, library in their house. Mm-hmm. I'm in an office in another scene. Um, so they were so kind to, to let me come in and uh, and they talked with me. I have maybe three to four hours on each person. And, you know, the film could really last for eight hours if I really wanted to tell their whole story. What mm-hmm. I try to do is mm-hmm. to tell mm-hmm. one kind of story. But, um, and hopefully what I'm, the, the film is supposed to at least make you aware that they are there and that it was multi-generational and that people have, uh, you know, gotten jobs and positions and different ways of life because of what the work that these uh, gentlemen did back in the and gentlemen and the ladies did back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, the good news is that you know it's not the best film in the world. You'll see that the quality isn't you know Hollywood quality, but it's the content that I'm so proud of. Is that you know, that I had this access to these people. And what I plan to do is now take that access another step and show that that didn't end with them. In fact, mm-hmm. it's ongoing. We still, we are, we are, we're very uh, pivotal in a lot of companies and very influential in, in this uh, Silicon Valley community. We just don't, we don't always get the accolades that we probably deserve. But you know what? Uh, there's something else, though. There's another feature about these gentlemen and these women that I talk to. They don't seek to be. They don't seek the fame. They don't seek, uh, you know, notoriety. They want to solve problems. And so uh, you mm-hmm. look at their career, and it's, that's the, their career. They're constantly solving problems. And in some cases, the problems were overwhelming and they solved it uh, like Mary Sutton I mean she literally wrote the software and the protocol to get the Polaris missile off the ground and and they still use her her software they still use her protocols to this day and you know mm-hmm. that was a problem she solved it and she went on to the next one and she got, she didn't even think about it <laughs> you know until when I was out, uh, interviewing them, one of my questions was, was there anything that you created or developed that was that changed the trajectory of a company or, uh, or just a, an, you know, the, the company or a product or whatever? And when I said that, their little lights would go on and they'd start talking about these things they had done. And I'm thinking, my God, they are amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have, they mm-hmm. have no idea how amazing they are. So that that's how the film got made. And, you know, I, I'm at the film festival now, and I'm talking to mm-hmm. these filmmakers, and they've made 20-minute films, 15-minute films. And, and uh, I'm saying, well, mine is 50 minutes. And they said, you made a feature. I thought, what's a feature? You know, I, so, I know so little about <laughs> You know, I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to make a feature until I was, you know, really seasoned. It's like nobody told me what I shouldn't do, so I just did it. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. Um, Yeah, I remember the section, you know, when you were interviewing um, Mary Sutton and um, associate engineer at Lockheed um, in 1983. She was, uh, I think she was the first woman and the first uh, manager there. 
Yes, that was uh, the African man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and he was talking about how a lot of people who come who came into um, uh, this particular field, you know, software, um, you know, they came in through mathematics, or they and some even came in through music, not programming. Yes. I thought that was really mm-hmm. fascinating, that statement. Well, you know, I did a podcast uh, myself with a woman by the name of Raina. <clears throat> I can't remember her last name at the moment, but she mm-hmm. is the mechanical engineering manager for at Lockheed as we speak. And mm-hmm. in addition to that, she is an opera singer. And luckily oh. for her, yes, luckily for her, early in her life, she put put uh, realized that math and music, <clears throat> excuse me, Math and music are uh, very similar. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. measured, you have measures. You have a key. You know, you know how many notes per per measure. Uh, you, and if the if the measure changes, it goes into a fractional number, like seven eighths, one uh, two two four four. You know, you have to count. I mean, it it's very mathematical. And, you know, and I told her, I was a music major when I started off. I played uh, violin, viola, and piano. No one ever put that together for me. I never realized Mm -hmm. that I was probably good at math in in the sense Mm -hmm. that I could play it and feel it. But if you put math on paper for me, I'm terrible at math, you know, (laughs) except when you're paying me money. I'm pretty good at counting. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it is true. Oh, there, um, math and music are they're they're universal. They're very you you can talk about math and music across uh, all kinds of lines, uh, economic, mm-hmm. social. Uh, people in in Africa understand math the same way that people in China understand math. It's it's just the same, and the same goes for music. You have to follow the guidelines, and if you can, if you can appreciate one type of music, you can appreciate another by the beat, whatever. But um, yeah, so those two things, those two features, uh, uh, bring people together and and help you to understand. I think if if teachers could bring that to students and help them understand that you've got math ability, here's what you're doing with music, for instance. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, in the section with um, uh, Mrs. Uh, Miss uh, Mary Sutton, um, uh, she I think because I like I was writing a whole lot. Um, uh, she did some software configuration management. She set up a system, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand all of the technical terms, but um, she, they mentioned like Minolta um, that she was. Yes. The, uh, she was the manager there, first black woman, first um, a black person, first woman, mm-hmm. first black person there, and and people come there from from Japan, <laughs> um, yeah. which is like so cool. And and I think she might have mentioned sort of the international nature of the work that these pioneers were doing in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. And I love the way you, you sort of talk about what the place is and how it was connected to the government and it was connected to NASA, um, you know, because people know that film, you know, with the uh, the black women who were so mm-hmm. integral to, um, um, you know, to the to the Apollo, you know, and to the early um, uh, space exploration, but we didn't know their names prior to, you know, to the film. And, um, 
can't remember the name of the film. Do you remember the name of the film? Uh, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures, right, Hidden right. Figures. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and and, and, and I, we're running out of time, and I'm really happy, um, you know, that you stepped out of your conference to, to talk to us this morning. But I was thinking about now about um, Marguerite Daniels, and in in, I think a, a reference was made to Karen Roach, um, and Marguerite Daniels um, was, I think she was at Lockheed, and yes. um and, and, and it was really interesting and her story was, was also some other stories about how, you know, people like work their way up and, and and so the manager would say, Well, you don't have your your undergraduate degree or your whatever else you might need and, and then the person says, Well, I'll get it and in the in one of the stories with a man he they held the position for him until he got his his undergraduate degree. And I'm like, Wow, that's so cool and then with Marguerite Daniels she talks about how she started going to school once she got mm-hmm. hired, and she joined mm-hmm. Postmasters. She mentioned she went to De Anza, and it's like, wow, this is so cool. And then you've got the John Hill and Maddie Hill story. But anyway, I just wanted to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how, you know, it was, it was about developing, you know, a, um, a uh, I guess developing a workforce of interested mm-hmm. people. And so, if you didn't have what you needed, that's okay. Go ahead and get it. And then, and then right. also, um, I think they mentioned how they help people continue on and get, and you know, and, and get, um, you know, uh, their degrees or their, mm-hmm. um, you know, their their higher degrees in whatever discipline they were working in. And uh, and then lastly, and maybe you could talk about this too. Um, there was this. Um, I don't know what it was called because I've got too many notes here, but I'll yeah. describe it. And 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 what it was is that you would get there were these black people, you know, scientists and engineers would get together, and people who were hiring would also be in the room, and people would get a chance mm-hmm. to be like an open mic, but it was an open mic about what you want at, in a career, what your qualifications are, and then you know, yes. and the people there who might be able to offer that that particular position or were looking, you all could connect right there. What was that called? That right. was awesome. And what happened to that? Are you still? Are they still doing that? <laughs> No, they're not, and that was uh, that's part of that have a mindset. Um, let let me just say this: it was a different world in Silicon Valley back in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. This was a valley that was uh, uh, an industry that was brand new. No one knew anything about it. In fact, computer science wasn't even uh, considered a science. It wasn't even a discipline at that time. Uh, you were either an electrical engineer or a mathematician uh, or a scientist of some kind. You were not a computer science person. So the companies down there had to team up with their human resources people and talk about how do we get people to come into this business? How are we going to recruit for them? And so what we recruiters did, what PABA did, what the group in PABA did was say, look, uh, here's what you can do. We went back to our companies and said, this is what you can do to uh, farm our own. We've got to like have like a farm team almost. You can help them get educations if they decide they want to go into engineering. You can help them get educations uh, and uh, pay for uh, reimburse them for their uh, expenses. The, that was going on. Here's another thing. At Hewlett-Packard, uh, a young lady, and she's not in film, but she'll be in my next one. Her name is Teresa Isaacs. She and Ken mm-hmm. Coleman 
put together this program at HP where they brought college kids starting in their junior year. Every summer, they bring them to Hewlett Packard. It didn't matter what their major was, and it didn't matter, you know, whether they were going to commit to HP or not. They just wanted to expose them to Hewlett Packard, and that's where Ernest, he's in the film. He He's got one of those summer jobs, and we bring them back every year until their senior year. And when they were going into their senior year, they left Hewlett-Packard with an offer letter in their hand, an open-ended offer letter. If you do that today, you get sued because, you know, people oh, walk away with it. Really? You see, that open-ended offer letter means that you can walk back in 10 years later and say, oh, where's my job? You know, right. the only thing that would stop you from hiring them is if the job didn't exist anymore. But um, mm-hmm. that's what they would do. And, of course, these kids are coming from Alabama. I think they have a short on uh, Mary Sutton saying, my mother was making $40 a week and I was making 140 a week. That was all mm-hmm. the money in the world. So these kids mm-hmm. were coming back, you know, from poverty and coming to Hewlett-Packard and and Fairchild and Lockheed and IBM because they all had similar programs. And when they're senior year and they've got a check, I mean, a letter in their hand saying they're going to make upwards of $60,000 a year in 1970. That was a fortune, you know. So <clears throat> there was a, the, the Valley was much more cooperative, much more concerned about recruitment. They knew they were at a uh, disadvantage. They were working hand-in-hand with the uh, uh historically black colleges trying to to educate them about computer science because um those colleges knew little or nothing about that field it was unheard of they were telling their students to be doctors and lawyers and teachers uh, this computer science thing was going to die away they just knew it was going away but a lot of them came out in, in spite of that and uh, that's where we got a lot of our african american engineers we brought them in they were scientists or math, math, mathematicians, and they learned to be engineers. Um, uh, IBM had its own engineering school, okay? And then later on, Santa Clara University uh, and San Francisco, University of San Francisco, um, San, uh, San Jose City, which was one of the first to issue an engineering degree in computer science, by the way, San Jose State, mm. they would come into the companies in the evening after the work hours and hold classes. You could earn your engineering degree on the work site, and you could even get your MBA through these programs that would come into. So that's how tied in we were. And you might look Mm -hmm. at uh, Stanford, this guy, Terman, that ran uh, the engineering department for Stanford. He was at the kind of the, the... godfather of that thinking. He felt that industry and education should be tied together. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I do mention in my film how Hewlett and Packett were his students. And literally, he said, when they were getting ready to graduate, hey, start your own company. Do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's how they, why they started in their garage. They had no money, but they had ideas. And Terman was one of these guys who was saying, look, this if we keep this thing you know, open and uh, Open source, we'll all learn together. And that's the kind of thinking that went on there. There was a time, say, if you bought, if one person bought a piece of software like Microsoft, then we all mm-hmm. had it. It was open source. You just copied it onto right. your machine. Well, as you can, as you know, 
that's not the, the case anymore. They figured out how to make money, and they're not giving it up. But at the time, uh, back then, it was wide open. And Rita, uh, John, and Maddie, not they weren't the only ones, obvious. A lot of us took advantage of all of those opportunities to further our education, to earn those um, uh, higher degrees, and uh, become, in fact, within Karen's situation at Lockheed, she was the head of this program where many of them came out of there, and they are now executives at Lockheed because of the programs that they set up right there in Lockheed, and they formed their own little society where they would meet and, and mentor each other through the process. And um, so now they still have connections within that company, and I think they even meet once a year or so. <clears throat> Excuse me. As uh, you know, just to reminisce, and not only that, but to look for candidates that are out there that they can mentor through the process and help them get ahead. But it was it was a different world than it is now. The com- competitiveness wasn't quite as uh, uh, crazy, and uh, people had people were given opportunities that you know that you'd never guess that they would be able to to uh, accomplish. So. Right. You know, I look I look back on it now and say, if we could just get a piece of that now, I think we could make sure that these companies would be, you know, at least populated with black folks. Um, mm-hmm. Say if they could even have. There's another thing. They used to help with if they moved up a person from say New York to California, uh, not New York. Let's say let's try this again. If they moved it from Mississippi to California, the uh, cost of housing was exponentially huge compared to what was going on in Mississippi. So for the first two years, one to two years, they may get a supplement to their housing um, so that they can survive here. And once Mm -hmm. they get their salary up, they can then pay their rent, you know, easily. But it it was a culture shock. So the companies were willing to help you in many, many ways to survive in the um, in the electronic world because we were so desperate for people. And and I think right. we are almost there again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, wow. I'm, I'm sure people are going to really, really appreciate um, this work, uh, Mrs. Cotton. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, my apologies. I, I did mention the film that you made um, for Head Start. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah second feature yeah. and and hopefully more films to come because this is such an important story and really looking forward to hearing more about these uh pioneers and um in this industry and you know you're right um the film could have been even longer so hopefully you'll have you know some other chapters to the story like you mentioned you know with people that are uh doing the work now you know this next generation and I want to let mm-hmm. folks know again when your film is screening at the uh, San Francisco Black Film Festival this weekend. And, um, yeah, if you could tell people that, as well as your website. Yes. Uh, it's, excuse me, it's streaming Saturday, 12 noon, at the uh, African American Culture Center at 762 Fulton Street in San Francisco. And um, my website is, uh, well, I have too, but the one I think I'd like for you to check out is just a place at the table dot live. Okay, a place at the table dot live. That's the that's for the film itself. 
Okay. And and, and, um, and I'm also, I was going to say, mm-hmm. I'm also, if anyone out there in Podland <laughs> knows of a source for uh, funding for movies. I'm not a I'm not a nonprofit. I am a profit center, but I need I need support in so that I, the next film will be much more professional, better you know better sound, better everything. If I can afford to pay for it, so looking for funding oh. out there. So those well, well I wanted to let you know there's actually um, there's a uh, urban film. Um, there's like a there's some clinics happening at the festival um, this weekend, mm-hmm. and so you might you might be able to find the answer to your question right there, you know, at the San Francisco Black Film Festival. So I'm yeah, sure you're one I'm of sure my plans. Asking, but but talk but talk to the directors because um, I'm not sure if your film fits into that particular uh, category, but mm-hmm. the people that are are going to be uh, facilitating the um, the clinics um, are funders. And so, um, okay. yeah, it'd be great for you to like probably take you know advantage of that. Fabulous. Um, yeah. And and are you in the Burial Clay Theater? Or are you in the Nia Room um, for your screening? It's in the Nia Room. Okay, sure. That's upstairs. I think that's yeah. on the second floor. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, thank you again so much, and uh, congratulations on this wonderful work. And looking forward to having other conversations. You know, definitely, we don't want this to be our last one. Absolutely not. And I hope people come out for the festival. We saw a wonderful film last night, Guitar Man, amazing, mm-hmm. uh, just amazing stories. So I hope people come in uh, and take part in the festival. They, I think they'll see the, it's a very enlightening group of filmmakers, and they're all excited and enthused about what they're doing, and they're telling our stories our way. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Well, you take good care, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, see you in the movies. <laughs> All right. Take care and thank you so much for your time. Oh, Appreciate you're quite it. welcome. Peace and blessings. All righty. Bye bye. Bye. Ah, Nana, uh, Dr. Hello. How are you? I'm Thanks good. for hanging in there. How are good. you? <laughs> I'm doing oh, I'm well. So happy. How are you, Wanda? We are having our conversation. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Um, wow. Yeah, Nana. Um, her work uh, is called Sprint. And she is a part of the 22nd Annual National Queer Arts Festival, and it's happening mm-hmm. in multiple venues. But her work, Sprint, um, is uh, going to be June 20th and 21st uh, in Oakland at the uh, East Bay Community Space, 507 55th Street. Um, and... Um, yeah, um, sliding scale, fifteen to twenty-five dollars, and you're gonna be, I, I presume, um, returning to tell another wonderful story. Uh, you are a person that has been a part of this festival multiple times, and uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Sprint, and uh, or should I play the um, the teaser first, and then you could tell us about the, the what it's about? Sure. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Alrighty. They say little black girls can't feel pain. They get that from their mama. Child, what on God's green earth are you running from? Stay strong, sister. Good. You got a gelboo yet? 
You are not funny. Nana! Aren't I human? Aren't you human? What are your thoughts on the Dupla Cross case? Yeah, and what people can't see is there is this, this. I don't know if it's a child or not, but they've got you got like multiple images. You've got a little girl. Yeah. Because I, I watched the other other ones too, and I was like, can I play this? But it needs to be edited. But your music is awesome. I mean, wow! And and videography is just like phenomenal. You are really oh, a, thank you. a talented woman. My goodness! I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I can hardly oh, wait to see wow. how you pull all this together in this particular <laughs> episode of your life. Um, as a, uh, what is it, uh, Sprint is a powerful stage performance blending film, theater, poetry, music, and dance to tell the coming-of-age story of Nana, a queer black child of Ghanaian immigrants, discovering herself and her dignity in white America. Like, okay, how can you put dignity in white America in the same sentence, right? <laughs> For a person <laughs> of African descent. <laughs> and... Um, and then also, you know, you're you're also looking at how, you know, black girls and black women are, you know, it seems like the intent to break us, right? Like what? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we Absolutely. we can't we can't be full whole people, and and so as you have this figure sort of floating in this pool, and having these questions, it's like so magical and so interesting, and like and then at one point it looks like she's drowning. But then she doesn't drown, yeah. thank goodness. Yeah, so maybe that's the buoyancy that's integral in our spirit, you know, if Absolutely. we're... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so talk yeah. about, you know, uh, yeah, and then also you, you bring in the story of um, uh, a sister, um, and I'm, where is her name? Yes, um, Chris, Crystal Mangum. Right, 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 yeah. Some jumping all over the place. So... Maybe you could talk about um, yeah. this work and, and then bring in Crystal and bring in, you know, your director and, you know, all the collaborators that, you know, support you in, in your creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you uplifting the films and the film work because um, what we are about to put on on June 20th and June 21st in the National Queer Arts Festival is a stage performance that blends film, theater, music, and dance. So the films you saw are part of a stage performance that will also include live actors, live musicians, and Mm -hmm. um, it's all meant to fold together to tell a coming-of-age story that's based off of my life's events. And uh, it's a project that I started writing, I think, back in 2016, and it started as mm. a collection of, like, poems and written works that many I had I had written that year and some that I had pulled from when I was a child and, and as I was grown up, and I was looking at them collectively, and I was like, I think there's a story here. And um, as, as I kind of dug into that, what poured out was a, a screenplay that was uh, just much more detailed of of certain events in my life that just really stuck out to me either as moments of, um, of, uh, I mean, traumatic moments, hilarious moments, um, moments that felt like turning points, moments where I felt deep connection that continue to 
you know, serve me to this day. Like just those those life events that really seem like um, when they come together, there's they're integral parts of the story I have to tell about myself. And I was in a place of really, really needing to um, come to terms with my own story. And so this was the way that I did it was through this project. And um, you mentioned uh, my sister, my friend, Crystal Mangum, who is a woman I came into contact with. Actually, first, while um, I was a student at Duke University, while I was a freshman there, I knew of her. She didn't know of me. But um, she she became, you know, a, a national news headline when she alleged that she was sexually assaulted by three young, wealthy, white male students who were um, students at Duke and on the Duke lacrosse team. And so it became a kind of national scandal, like the, the Duke lacrosse case, although it never made it mm-hmm. to court. Um, oh, and And... It never made it to court. It was uh, the case oh. was dismissed eventually, and um, the young men formed a. They had a settlement with the university, million do- millions of dollars, and um, Crystal, on the other hand, um, became a very, very notorious public figure. Was uh, have isolated from her family, from community. Uh, I think the the young men had had lawyers who were very connected, very powerful, and, and she was up against a university and institution as well. And so unsurprisingly, um, it, it did not, things did not turn out in her favor. And um, mm-hmm. me, as a student, as a young black woman at, at Duke witnessing all of this, I, a year later would experience my own sexual assault by a group of men on an athletic team at Duke University and having witnessed, yes, having witnessed what I witnessed with Crystal, every instinct in my body said, don't say anything. Um, And so for a long time, that was, that was um, something that I kept to myself. And eventually in the process of creating Sprint, um, Mm -hmm. I've reconnected with Crystal and I, I had written a poem that was inspired by her and I wanted her to read it. And so when I went to try and figure out how I might get in contact with her, I learned that she was incarcerated in North Carolina mm-hmm. and that she was serving a 14 to 18 year sentence for defending herself in a domestic violence incident. Um, that was life or death. And um, since that time, we've, we've just been in contact and we've visited, I've visited, um, I've, I've, gotten to know her kids a little bit. I've gotten to know her very well. She's gotten to know me, and we've been able to work mm-hmm. on this project together. In one of the films, you um, hear some poetry that, that she um, provided as an offering to the project. And, um, and we've been able to kind of, uh, kind of build, build this community of folks who have started to take an interest in how we bring her home. And so most recently, we've applied for her clemency um, which through the, uh, a, a brilliant campaign that's being done by the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls. They're doing a national clemency campaign where they're applying for clemency for incarcerated survivors, elderly women, um, women who are terminally ill, women who should not be behind bars. They're applying for clemency and then enlisting support from the public to urge their governors to grant clemency. And Crystal is one of the women who um, 
whose application is, is in process now. So um, we're also really working to see if we can get as much public support for, um, for the governor to grant clemency this year, uh, not unlike um, the granting of clemency in Centoya Brown's case. Good. Oh, wow, wow. What a yeah. terrible story. Wow, wow, but it's so <laughs> wonderful, you know, that, that you've been, you didn't let, you know, uh, Crystal's story, um, you know, die, you know, that you've been, you know, working on this and that you saw her. And But it's really terrible that you also were um, were assaulted in a similar fashion. Yeah. Like, wow. I mean, and, and, it's, and it's, it's really crazy much how these, yeah, yeah, and, and, and then the, you know, the perpetrators are, they make money, you know, they get, yeah. they get resources I, I and institutions. I really, really important. What? I think that that is it, such, such an um, added part of the injury, right, is mm-hmm. just, um, not only the experience of the thing, but what happens after. And um, the lack of protection, the lack of care, the lack of support, so often for black women at the time, Crystal uh, was doing sex work. Black women, women mm-hmm. who do sex work, women who um, are low income, right, women who are trans, like the lack of protection. Um, and then mm-hmm. the, the complete lack of protection, uh, the complete protection for institutions, for whiteness, for wealth, for white supremacy, right, um, mm-hmm. is, 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 is really kind of a, a damaging on, on these, I think, deeply cultural and, and intergenerational levels. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did you, end up, um, <clears throat> did you end up graduating from Duke? I did. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, what discipline? So I majored in international comparative studies with a focus on uh, sub-Saharan Africa and um, women's studies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I, you also so, mentioned, yeah. Wanda, um, you mentioned the, the kind of bu- buoyancy that um, is yeah, also a part yeah. of this story. And I really appreciate mm-hmm. you uplifting that as well because um, absolutely this story deals with with how we heal from traumatic events. And such an enormous part of how we heal from traumatic events is is where we, like, dig deep into those caverns of pain and find pockets of joy and pockets of humor and pockets of perspective and connection and love and all of those elements are also something that I try to weave into this story as well. I really hope shine through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yes, it does. And I was just thinking about, you know, the film, or um, I think it was earlier earlier this year, um, uh, called um, Fast Color, and and it was the film is about these black women, um, three generations who are goddesses and they've got superpowers mm. like they can change the weather they can make the earthquake they can yeah. dissolve the molecules of a solid um uh, object like a, a pliers or you know or a gun or a door wow, a steel door it. right 
I mean, mm-hmm. it's just marvelous. And so when I see, and, and there's a scene in there where um, one, the, one of the protagonists who is sort of trying to run from her, from her powers and run from herself, I mean, she's just like, she's a goddess, but she doesn't, she, it frightens her. And so mm. she's in the pool with her baby on her stomach, and they're floating, and and she, I think she sort of passes out or something, and the baby slips off of her, and it's in the water. She has to go find her, and because she doesn't want her to drown, right? But I think maybe because the baby is so close to that particular water environment, because I hear babies know how to swim, kind of automatically. Um, mm, you know, she's I able to, to get her, but. Yeah, yeah, but that scene is like, whoa, this looks just like, you know, and it, but it's still like that particular mm. moment, just like your moment in the film, uh, your character in the film is just floating. It's almost like a meditation, you know, because you're on your, mm. your character's on her back and it looks like she's thinking and, and, and you know, and, and, and sort of things are happening. Some within her control and some not, but then she sort of right. like takes it. You know, she takes control because you know you have to take control, otherwise you drown. <laughs> right. <laughs> but exactly. She like she, you know, she exactly. rallies and like the buoyancy. Like, oh no, I'm not drowning. No, no, heck no. This this world, you know, these forces are not gonna take me under. And it's just so visually like wow, it's just beautiful because you know you. You allow the character to stay in that moment for a minute. So we are able to, like, follow her and think about what she might be thinking about or think about what we're thinking about as as we wonder what's going to happen next. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful. All of these segments are just so awesome. I mean, wow. Yeah. I would love to talk about, yeah, who worked on that. Because that particular scene you're you're mentioning was um, a scene dreamed up by that um, short film's director. Her name's Indigo Mateo. And um, she is uh, she's currently based in L.A. She moved to L.A. last year to work on her music and just released uh, her debut album, Intuition. Um, but mm. was living in Oakland at the time that I was working on Sprint. And so when um, Sprint showed in last year's Queer Arts Festival, we produced the show together. And that included mm. producing the short films that are now a, a part of the performance. So um, she directed two of them. And, and the scene that you're talking about, I remember sitting with her in my living room, and she's like, so you're going to be floating on water. I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> no, I'm not. It's, <laughs> it's like cold. I don't. She's like, and there's going to be a drone above you. And I'm like, we do not have a budget. I do not know where we're getting a drone. Like, we're going back and forth about this. And eventually, I end up floating on Lake Del Valle with a drone flying over me with Indigo, mm. like, directing the Whoa. scene. And, and it just ended up being absolutely beautiful. And we had such a strong um, core team of filmmakers. I have no filmmaking experience, actually. I wrote the script mm-hmm. and had an idea of how I wanted them to come together, but I had the luck of um, being connected to this brilliant group of filmmakers um, that included Indigo Mateo, a young woman uh, named Angela Baxter, um, another mm-hmm. young filmmaker named Nuri Mohammed, who's straight out of Oakland, and then uh, our cinematographer, a brilliant young man named uh, Juno Kim. 
And we all came together and put our heads together on each and every single one of the films and um, everything from casting, finding locations. Um, it was just such a team effort. Um, and, and luckily through, through that uh, connection, that collaborative effort, we were able to get um, equipment that I definitely couldn't afford to rent or buy um, and be able to, to put something together with that, that we, I think, all feel really proud of. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So we we mentioned, you know, that um uh that you are Ghanaian, which means you are from the motherland. And uh yes. and this is the 400 year return. Uh so folks are going it back is. to Africa. And which is so awesome, awesome. And Ghana is the place, you know, the country that was the first African nation to get its independence from a colonial yeah. power. You know, uh we have um President um Dr. Uh, Kwame Nkrumah, and and then just sort of that story is just crazy, like the way, you know, the colonizer didn't like (laughs) this independent nation that was hooking up with Marcus Garvey, you know, before before independence, you know, sort of using the paper as sort of like the Underground Railroad for news, right, Uh, throughout the continent as well as the diaspora because, you know, UNIA was global. And and then to bring uh, W. B. Du Bois, you know, um, right. you know, wonderful intellectual, and he he actually um, uh, lived there. You know, that's where he passed. That's where his remains are. And and he, along with um, um, and uh, a Ghanaian scholar, worked on this wonderful um, Africana dictionary, not dictionary, excuse me, encyclopedia, which Henry Louis Gates completed with another um, uh, African scholar. I'm sorry if I have these names, but if you know them, you can drop them in there where I have blanks. <laughs> but when you go to Ghana, like the Independent Square is like the black star, you know, the, the yeah. colors, you know, which we see repeated, you know, throughout the diaspora, you know, it's like, whoa. And, like and yeah, gold, and this yeah. year, like every other year, you know, is a real big year for Panafest, right? So this is the Panafest year. It's the 400-year return. You know, it's the 400th anniversary of, you know, some folks say, you know, we were here longer than this, but, you know, folks coming into yeah. uh, Fort, you know, Fort Comfort, Virginia, um, from Angola um, in August of this year. So there's a big, there are a lot of commemorations happening on June 19th, um, next week, next Wednesday. Um, and then, you know, you're from the land of Kumasi. Wow. Oh, my God, you know, the Golden School, <laughs> you know, the, you know, the, yeah. uh, uh, Ashanti Henny Henny, you know, King and his mother kidnapped and took and taken to the shells and and then we think about, you know, the colonialism, you know, in that Christian church, like, oh my God. Um and um and then we've got the Indinkra, right? Those wise sayings and one that people really know really well is Sankofa, right? Right. So, anyway, right. just said a whole lot. Forward. And um yeah, talk a little bit about being a Ghanaian woman. <laughs> Yeah, I um, I both of my parents were born in Ghana, born and raised. My mother um, in Accra, my father in Kumasi. Um, although I think you know both have lived in in villages outside of those major cities for parts of their lives, but um, that's where our families are, are located now. And um, both migrated to the U.S. in the '80s and met here actually. They met in Philadelphia, and that's where I was born. 
Um, okay. And so I grew up going back to Ghana every, maybe it would be about every four years with my mother, uh, most often, sometimes with my father as well, and um, spending summers there. And um, those are just some of the the happiest memories of my life. Like, they they really just are. And, and I think um, really rooted me in a kind of um, – a kind of sense of blackness that that felt global, that felt like, you know, there is something about being a black person in America, you know, growing up in America and being in a place where everyone is black, you know, being on a country, mm-hmm. in a country where everyone is black. That experience is, is so important. It's life-changing, you know. I, I wish it for every every single black person in America. I wish it, you know. Um, it it uh, that's that's a perspective that um, I think I think really instilled in me a kind of just understanding that black people are phenomenal, you know, um, and 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 that and that diasporic connection matters. Um, it matters deeply to me, and it's it's just in me, you know. It's just in me, and um, and what what it meant to do certain things in Ghana with my mother, like to visit Elmina Castle, which is a castle on the coast of Ghana, where where uh, people were brought from their villages into onto the coast, captured there, and then um, enslaved and brought onto boats and brought over to the Americas. And um, the experience of standing in Elmina Castle, the experience of, of crouching, actually, in a room where um, enslaved people's bodies were piled on top of each other. These experiences, they never leave you. They never leave you. And so I think when I uh, even look, centuries later at, at, at systems in this country like mass incarceration, when I think about um, the mass incarceration that's happening of black and brown women who are, have been victimized by sexual violence, these things are not disconnected to me mm-hmm. from, from what happened in that castle, right? Like they're not disconnected. The, the type of... Um, logic that makes these things possible on a widespread scale that makes them act, even deemed normalized in our culture is, is um, deeply, deeply rooted in what happened um, on the coast of, of the continent that I'm from. Um, and so, so I, I, I really um, seek to honor that connection in, in the story that's being told uh, through Sprint. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, give our audience um, information about the performance um, insofar as how they can get tickets, and also give your give your website as well, because um, there's a lot more information there that people can um, access, and as well as you know, look at some clips and things like that. See your beautiful smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, love. Um, so folks can get tickets to our performance that will be on June 20th and June 21st at 7.30, doors open at 7 o'clock, at the East Bay Community Space in Oakland. That's 507 
55th Street. It's right off of Telegraph Avenue, off 55th and Telegraph. Um, and so they can get tickets for that show. They're on sale right now on Eventbrite. Uh, the um, address is sprint-tickets-2019.eventbrite.com. They can also find tickets directly. Um, there's a link from the Sprint website. And the website is pretty simple. It's sprintmovement.com, www.sprintmovement.com. And uh, folks can go there to learn more about the project. They can see some of the videos, a little bit of the performance from last year, and they can also buy tickets right there. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And and when I, when I think uh, about Sprint, um, you know, we think about, a, you know, like a Sprint, it's, it's almost like a leap. But I'm not sure if you leave the mm. ground. Um, but it's fast. The sprint is yeah. fast. Like you get to your destination very fast. It's not. It's not one of those. What is it? Four um, twenties or you know the longer one. Like you're not. You're not right. passing off at the time. You're like you're carrying it through all by yourself. Um, and and there's a reason why it's a sprint. <laughs> you know. Um, so why do you talk about mm. the title? Um, yeah. And and what it means. Absolutely. Um, I chose the the title Sprint um, to describe a type of a kind of unab- unabandoned or run like running, you know, running from mm-hmm. actually um, without so much of an understanding of what you're running towards, but a very clear mm-hmm. desire to run from. Um, and I I, I think kind of metaphorically for me it describes a kind of emotional running from um a kind of uh, uh refusal to sit with the hard things and so um it describes that kind of act of running from and then eventually the coming to the coming home right the having to sit with and be with and and work with and heal from um, something, and so it's it's meant to describe that process. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, my other guest is in the studio. But do you have a short poem that you could share with us um, before you take off? Oh yes, absolutely. Let's see. Okay, cool. Uh, um, Be right with you, Jeff and uh, and Charles. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see, I would like to recite a poem called Inheritance. Inheritance, Um, okay. Yes, yes. And it's a poem that was actually inspired by another uh, young black woman playwright named Echo Brown, whose um, work, Mm. Black Virgins Aren't for Hipsters, I just absolutely adored and who who kind of offered me some mentorship. So um, she Mm. asked the question, what kind of ancestor will you be? And this poem is inspired by that question. Okay. Young queen, let your heart beat fiercely. That drum beat is the same beat that led Yasantwa's warriors to defeat the British. Listen to it. Young queen, speak boldly. Let wisdom and truth be your fellow orators. That is a gift bestowed to you by Mame Birago Frimpong. Cherish it. 
Young queen, sing loudly, dance wildly. Your body knows it was born free. That is the secret hidden beneath the bottom deck of the Black Star ship. Keep it. Young queen, hold yourself lovingly, for you are a flower, a tender thing, a whimsical dream dreamt by Mame, Phoebe, Dufour. Realize it. Young queen, child of sea and stars, my heart sold to the night sky. Go forth, walk proud. And don't you dare forget to come home. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that oh, opportunity. Thank you, Nana. Oh, yeah. oh, this has been my pleasure. I um, certainly hope that we have we'll have other conversations and I'm so looking forward yes, to um, absolutely. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to your work. Um I'm just like you know, black girl magic, black woman magic. Like when you have the word magic in the title, anyway, it's like, oh yes, I'm in the house. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> you know, conjuring. You know, that's an African thing. We conjure. We we mm-hmm. we mix and we stir. We throw in the ingredients. You know, whatever spice that our grandmothers gave us, we we toss it in the pot, and we cook up something Absolutely. different and something new and something sustaining, so that you know, ah, we can we can breathe our ways through this stuff, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah we got to keep on breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do more than survive. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So much more. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, we you know, we have our joy and our celebration and I think Sprint uh looks like one of those kind of parties, you know, like parties for the spirit. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward Absolutely. to it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Wanda. It's great talking to you and we will stay connected. We got a year of return to to plot and plan about. <laughs> so Right, totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well you take good care. See you um shortly. I'll see you next week. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Yeah, next week is the beginning of summer too. It'll be the uh the solar equinox. Um right. and uh yeah, the longest day of the year. My birthday is next week. Um Oh yeah. when? Uh the twentieth. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. Happy early birthday. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I hope you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you for spending it with us. So appreciate it. And we'll be there to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Well, you take good care. And, um, yeah, see you next week. Thanks okay, for joining See you next week. Thank you. Right, peace and blessings. blessings. Mm-hmm. Peace and blessings, love. Ah, good morning, uh, Jeff, and good morning, Charles. How are you both? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, you're welcome. Hello. Hey, Charles, thanks for getting up. I know it's it's early, early. How you doing? Okay. Hey, uh, I just I just caught the well, the tail end. Uh, who who's the poet? <laughs> oh, oh, that's <laughs> that's uh, Nana uh, Dafur. Yeah, she's um, a wonderful, wonderful artist. She's got a, a show next week as a part of the um, the uh, uh, the national 22nd annual National Queer Arts Festival. So um, I'll give you more information. Maybe you might want to go to her um, event with me. Okay, sounds good. Well, yeah, I'll be glad to recruit. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. 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 She's, she's, um, is she local? Mm. She's yeah, local. Yeah, here She's in, in the Bay Area. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Have her yeah. come and uh, have her come and read it. You spirit artworks. Be glad. Yeah, well Charles, let's let's talk about you. <laughs> the man oh, of the hour, okay. right? Here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the God given talent, the creative life of Charles Curtis Blackwell. is screening tomorrow as a part of the San Francisco Black Film Festival. Um 22 or it's a 20, no 21 and um and it's going to be um at 12 noon at the um African American Art and Culture Complex. Is it going to be in the Burial Clay uh theater, Jeff? Yes. Correct. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah, and so um why don't I play um a little clip and um and then um uh, and then we could talk more about the film and about both of you. Let me find it, Charles. Yeah, um, it's just a really, really beautiful film. I love the way you you weave, um, uh, you know, the poetry into the story. It's really, really, really lovely. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to play the clip right now. Let's see. You got you got that back. You got that. You got that building in the background. Yeah. Oh, okay. Seems like a good place here. Oh, yeah. The hunt for housing. Overturned trash cans. Atop overturned lives. Hypodermic needles. Tin cans. Broken glass. All the way up and down the sidewalk. Dingy tissue blown by the wind into the third, third world, fourth world, and fifth world of poverty. The Rolling Stones, give me shelter so I can breathe, so I can pray and hope in hopes that I don't lose my last ounce of humanity. See there? See all of that? Oh, there's some more right there. This is progress. The world of poetry looks bleak when you put it up against all this. We better get out of here before they uh, bury us in cement. <laughs> we can go either way. We can go this way or this way. Uh, There's construction on both sides, man. <laughs> this is uh, this is Oakland. This is the progress of Oakland. This is the regress. It's not about human beings or lives, or people's lives. It's about hey, oh yeah, it's about. I forgot it's about property. Capitalism at its finest. <laughs> Capitalism as at its as its finest. Um, so again, welcome again, um, uh, Jeff. Uh, in your bio, you uh, you write that you've been directing independent films since 2004, um, 
and uh, one your I guess one of your first films or your first film um, is Among Garbage and Flowers. So it's kind of interesting that your clip will be looking at how her people have now been discarded, right? Um, um, and and being moved as if they are parcels um, to be discarded. Um, and you've interviewed over 80 people for documentary productions. Um, is it Gardano? Is that how you pronounce your last name? Giordano. Giordano, okay. You've completed four full-length documentaries, and again, the most recent one is the one we're speaking about now, The God-Given Talent, The Creative Life of Charles Curtis Blackwell, which was completed this year. And again, its 70-minute documentary has its world premiere at the um, uh, 21st um, uh, annual San Francisco Black Film Festival tomorrow, and um, how how did you and and Charles meet? We were introduced by to each other by Vince Storty. He was mm-hmm. a poet and a publisher and a visual artist. I met Vince in Alameda, and um, Vince and I co-produced a film previous to the God-given town called Passion is the Money, which is an ensemble portrait mm-hmm. of artists and poets in the Bay Area, especially San Francisco and the East Bay. And Charles is also featured in that film, uh, along with Gail Mitchell, Ronald Sauer, um, George Long, uh, uh, Clara Sue, a lot of poets and artists of different creative disciplines. So basically I had so much footage of Charles left over from Passion is the Money in terms of interviews with him, footage of him at art shows, that I decided with my editor to make a film just about Charles to really, Mm -hmm. you know, delve into his creative life and his early upbringing and and you know his kind of current creative endeavors and his philosophy towards art and community. Yeah, right. I'm I'm back yeah. I'm back after I got cut off by the stupid technology. <laughs> oh no, problem, Charles. <laughs> so so Charles, how does it feel to be the subject of your own documentary film? Uh, it was, uh, I don't know. You just kind of go through it and, and just do it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, it's easy to go uh, ego tripping on something. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you got any sense, you realize you can go ego tripping if you want to, but the rent's going to be due in another couple of hours. So bring you back to reality. And, uh, and, and what purpose is ego tripping going to serve anyway? You know? It's like uh, I remember I got an award in in Sacramento, and uh, okay, but you know awards, prestige, and status—it's a tool. So what can I do to use it? So I remember I I managed to get somebody else hooked up with a poetry reading, and you know, uh, pushed to get somebody funded when I was on a board or Sacramento Poetry Center. So if you can do something to help somebody, because other than that, it it don't mean nothing. It's I mean we see it all the time with people they. They get in the glitter and they get in the limelight and but, but, but you know what are they doing? What are they doing? 
to get all tripped out and gone and next thing drugs, alcohol or whatever else you could think of. And, you know, the, like like I said, the mind goes first. So, uh, you know, just stay balanced and, you know, stay with a, a good spiritual foundation and the rest of it, you know, maybe it'll fall in place. You can do something to help somebody. And I got that from Martin Luther King. You know, I don't want to be remembered as somebody that, uh, you know, had a Nobel Prize or was a a big uh, minister in a, a big church. But, you know, he said, you know, but, but what did I do to help somebody? So I try to stay on that note. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So have you seen the film yet? I saw I saw parts of it, and it's kind of like mm-hmm. somebody said, uh, <laughs> while Jeff was filming, somebody said, Charles, can you stand to watch uh, 60 Minutes of You? And I said, uh, I don't think so, you know. So uh, <laughs> luckily, uh, Jeff Jeff, in- <laughs> Jeff included, uh, I think you're in it, if I'm correct. I'm not sure. I think you're in it. I think uh, several several poets and other people he interviewed, in, which makes it interesting because uh, kind of like it was a sociologist said, you know, we're composed of a multiple of cells, you know, people, they, 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 we feed off them, they feed off us, and, and they, they make, a, we, we learn from other people, we grow. So, uh, you know, that, that makes it interesting. You know, you, you know, it's like you ever see a marriage, you know, it's just two people, and they don't, they don't associate with anything outside the marriage. You know, you, you can rest assured they're going to beat the <laughs> slop out of each other, or else, or else they're going to, you know, it's going to break up in a short amount of time. You know, I mean, you know, love is love, is love. but if you really, real love, you're going to enjoy, you're going to appreciate the rest of the, you know, the world around you, you know. But uh, uh, so, you know, nah, how much can I stand? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't stand that much myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, and um, Jeff, um, you've made lots of films and you're working on um, another one right now. And I was wondering how, how does this film um sort of um, thematically sort of fit in the kind of work that you your work you have been associated with as a director and how does it does it um, uh, sort of stretch you um, creatively and how did it stretch you stretch you creatively in in another direction um, you know sort of taking some of the footage you already had you know with Charles and then augmenting it with more to make this feature on on uh, on Mr. Blackwell well, the um, I think the subconscious theme that's arisen in my work has been like a hidden history of people and culture and mm-hmm. um, really preserving people's stories, especially, you know, if they can say in their own words, preferably. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I grew up writing poetry as a young person and um, always go back to it and with Charles's work, it really connected with me when I read his work from Vince's um, um, poetry um, publication called North Coast Literary Review, and he published Charles multiple times in that publication, and um, I was like, wow, you know, this is this is strong, and um, more people should read Charles's work. So um, the I would say that would be the theme, and then um, I was also really, um, like, I feel like he's he's an artist in the Bay Area in the midst of wealth and greed and a lot of suffering and homelessness, and he's really commenting on our times the way that I think 
you know, poets should be writing and, and performing. So I felt like it was really important to, um, to make the project about him. And it, I want to say it took over three years from when I had the idea to make the film just about Charles until tomorrow mm-hmm. with the screening. So it's been like that long of a journey. And stretching creatively, collaborating with my editor, who really is, is an angel and, a, and we have a beautiful artistic connection and relationship. He, my editor also edited Passion is the Money. Uh, his name is Aaron Gwynn. And um, yeah, he was really excited to, to make a film just about Charles as well because he had met Charles a few times. And mm-hmm. he knew from Passion is the Money that Charles deserved his own film as well. Um, and really like what it means to be an artist, what that looks like in the Bay Area. And, um, you know, there's, there's the yin and the yang, the darkness, the light. And I think, you know, even in the film, there's moments of, of Charles commenting on the darkness in life, but there, there's still, there's still hope in his poetry, in his art that comes through Mm -hmm. in the film. Right. Yeah. So Charles, um, talk to us about um about about your your work. You're you're um you're a poet, um, you're a playwright, you're an essayist, um, and you're also a, a visual artist and, and we see that also in the film. It's really, really great the way we watch you actually um uh do some painting. Uh, that's a really wonderful aspect. And then you also you work with uh with youth. Um at um, I'm trying to blank on the name of the place where you work, Charles. Um, oh, spirit, youth, uh, youth, youth spirit, youth spirit artworks. Right, right in Berkeley, and there is a gallery, and you host a uh, a poetry reading monthly, which is really fun. And then there, people can buy art that the young people have made, um, you know, in in the program. So you could talk about, you know, sort of your artist life and. Um, and particularly, you know, the poetry and and maybe even your your painting and how you know how that sort of facilitates the kind of change you want to see. In you know, I uh, sometimes I have to do a, a speak on you know my 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 background, and I usually start off by by telling people you know I was in uh, high school I was a uh, I was a C and a D student and people look at me going what you know. But I, I was in a busing program, and, uh, and when I talked to people from Boston, they, they'd be telling my story, and I'd be telling they, their story because uh, people that, you know, went to uh, high school in Boston during the, during the 70s, you know, because, you know, Boston was in an uproar and, uh, because, of, you know, the racism and the, the conflict. And, and so that, that's what it was for me. And so, you know, it, it was God at work because uh, when I got in college and uh, – I have people cracking up laughing because uh, I went I went to the same class on Tuesday that I went to on Monday, and I realized, uh, you know, when you no, know, you go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Tuesday, Thursday. So it took me a while to figure the whole thing out, you know, but just had to, you know, jump in and grab some classes in a hurry. And so, uh, I, you know, and when I college, uh, I excelled. Uh, plus, I got involved in the, we got into the involved in demands for Black studies and with the uh, Black students. Black Student Union at Sacramento City College, and uh, 
you know, exposure. And, and, and I'm glad I participated in that because, uh, you know, it, it was learning, like, outside the classroom. And you find out that uh, sometimes you can you can push for change and sometimes, you you, you know, you, you can't. Uh, everything's bought off. And I remember the most powerful poem I heard one time when I was in college, and it was called Burn, Baby, Burn. And I think that's by Marvin X. And uh, mm-hmm. Bobby Seale had come to, uh, they did a presentation from the Panther Party, and he read. Man, I thought I had to get up and run out of, get, you know, run out of there. He de- he delivered the poem, such a powerful, like a, one of them Baptist preachers, you know. And I'm saying, man, I ain't never heard nobody read no poem like this before, you know. It really caught my attention, you know. And so next thing you know, I took the first class in African-American literature, literature, which is part of the Black Studies demands, and found out, you know, you didn't have to be white in order to write. <laughs> that may sound funny, but so anyway, uh, you know, and, and Sonia Sanchez tells that story how you know she came to San Francisco State and nobody knew none of the names that she wrote on the board of African American writers: County Cullen, Claude McKay, uh, Zora Neale Hurston, or Gwendolyn Brooks. No, nobody knew the names, you know. So, uh, which tells you, you know, how we knew? Did we know our culture? Didn't did we? We did not even know our history, you know. So kind of like what I'm doing now is to use uh, the writing, the poetry to uh, to confront, you know, to convict because, you know, we got young young people doing stuff that is so outrageous and outlandish and it's, and it's almost like it's like sometimes the poets, they do this thing kind of like I call it shock poetry. They want to they wanna shock you. And the guy in Sacramento uh, pulled down his pants. He, he was reading the poem and, you know, he's standing up there, you know, butt naked, you know. And um, if somebody did that here in the Bay Area also, you know. And well, wait, well, what about the work? What about the poem, you know? So, and, then, and then they wind up saying stuff that is totally outrageous. And uh, so I worked in uh, prisons, state of California, and uh, used poetry because it's kind of like somebody said, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, the last thing they want to hear is a piece talking about how they are bad MF. And how they, you know, N-word, 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 and the B-word, B-word, B-word. You know, they they sitting there, the tier one or tier two, weeping because maybe they done wrong or they just missing home and family and friends and they're locked up and can't go nowhere. They want to hear something that's going to be able to encourage, inspire, and, you know, speak to their spirit, you know, give them hope. And um, one inmate told me, he said, uh, we had a discussion about rap. And this brother hauled off and said, just, just, just put a silence on the whole class. He said, you know, now that I think about it, that's what got me here. And so when I do the writer's workshops with the young people, I'm trying to confront because it caused them to think and move in another direction. You know, Oscar Davis made that, that quote that, you know, any form of art can empower, it can, it can move, it can, you know, move within our spirit and cause and give us, give us hope, you know. So that's what I'm trying to do because young people, man, they, I'm glad I'm not young at that age now, you know, because everything is thrown at them, the computerization and technology and, you know, the alienation, the polarization. And so how does a person exist and cope with this kind of madness, you know? So they, uh, uh, I, I, I cause them provoking the right things about love, right things about, you know, the last time they were angry enough to, you know, kill somebody. Uh, the, the last time they uh, they found themselves hurt and crushed to crushed to the bone, you know, causing them to write about you know who they care about, you know, or maybe have them write a piece about their neighbor, you know, your person sitting right next to them, you know, so you know, trying to push them in in a direction, and 
and uh, you know, like they say in African culture, you know, it's all connected, the art, the writing, the music, the dance, you know, and I've had a chance to bear witness to that, even in the midst of my blindness, uh, to, to witness an African troupe from the Ivory Coast performing and dancing. And when the minute, the minute, the very second that the drummer stopped on that last beat, each of the, each of the dancers froze in such a, a note as to capture an African sculpture. So it's all, you know, it shows you that it's all connected, the art, the music, the dance, the writing, you know. So, you know, trying to learn learn from that from over the years and try to bring that to where, you know, we can uh, exist and cope and survive in this maniac society that we live. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Can, can nice. um, yeah. could I say something, Charles? Can you talk about your gospel blues play that you've been working on, you're trying to get produced? Uh oh uh, okay that's uh it's called uh, uh when struggle gave improvisation the blues and I, uh it was Brian Kendricks I did a presentation at Delta College and Brian Kendricks had me do he's a teacher's there and he's a drummer jazz drummer and when I got finished uh first he said he wanted me to do 15 minutes I said okay and 15 minutes went by and I'm waiting for him to say something and. He said, man, it sounded good, so, you know, how you do the whole class? I'm going, wow, man, wish you, wish you would have told me, but I kept on going, you know. But uh, uh, he said, you know, why don't you write a, 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 a poetry a play about jazz music in the 1950s and 1960s and what was taking place with the African Americans? So I put it together, and that's it called uh, uh, When Struggle Gave Improvisation the Blues, and uh, I sent about I said about 36 copies around the country and not, didn't hear anything. And finally, I heard something from uh, my friend Arlene, Arlene Crawford in Chicago. She got it to Jackie Taylor with the theater company there. And so I'm waiting to hear if they if they do, if they're going to do something. But uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's kind of like pulling from my memory. And, you know, like you might, maybe you did this, uh, Wanda, you know, when you was young, Jet Magazine came out. And Jet Magazine was informative. It had articles. It you could know what was going on in Chicago, Philadelphia, D.C., you know, Mississippi. And, uh, I mean, it changed uh, by the time it got to the late 80s. It really changed, you know, but it was, like, informative. And so, you know, reading all those little tidbits here and there and then put it together in, in the form of a play and to add in the music, because I had written a whole bunch of poems about uh, uh, Thelonious Monk, uh, Mingus, uh, Max Roach, you know, on down the line of uh, jazz jazz pieces, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, Jeff, I didn't, I didn't finish the whole film, um, and I was wondering, is there anything you want to highlight um, from the film? I want to also mention, you told me that, Charles, you have a reading tonight, right, with uh, with Mary? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, it's that it's some kind of it's Sleepy Cat Books or something. Yeah, Sleepy Cat I Books. Never... Yeah, twenty five oh nine Telegraph Avenue. It's a few doors down been? from Dwight Way. No, I don't know Sleepy oh. Cats. I like the name Sleepy Cats. It's cute. Um, <laughs> and uh, what time oh, okay. is it? Um, oh, it's at 7 p.m. tonight. Um, yes. And yes. so it's a part of the last word reading series. Um, and let me give you the people the phone numbers. The bookstore phone number is 925-258-9076. Again, that's... Sleepy Cat Books, 2509 Telegraph Avenue, 
as a part of the Last Word Reading Series, and and Charles Curtis Blackwell is being featured with Mary uh, uh, Lauren. Is that how you pronounce it? Laughlin. 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 Yeah. Laughlin. Yeah. Hey, yeah. She's really good hey, too. Could, could I add one more thing? At Youth Spirit Artworks yes. on the 22nd of uh, next week, oh, 22nd of June. That's next Saturday. At 7 o'clock. Yeah, yeah we have mm-hmm. uh, the poet laureate from San Francisco, Kim Shuck. So she'll be there. Oh, nice. At 7 okay. It's 7 o'clock, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, and they and they have an open mic, too, so people can bring their work. Um, yeah, you're most, oh, nice. you're most welcome to come. Yeah, you're most yeah, welcome to come. Yeah, I have to look and Thank you, Charles. So what's the address for Youth Spirit um, uh, Gallery? 3324 Adeline, close to Alcatraz. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, super. All righty. So, um, Jeff, is there anything um, you want to sort of highlight uh, in the film? And also I wanted to know, is there a website for the film? Yeah, there's. People could go to my website. It's, it's my name. It would be J E F F M G I O R D A N O dot com, Jeff M Giordano dot com. And I have a page just for the film. It says The God Given Talent, The Creative Life of Charles Curtis Blackwell. There's photos of Charles's paintings, photos of Charles from the production and the trailer, and information about the screening is on that page. I would like to set up uh, community screenings for the film, in oh, especially okay. in Oakland. So mm-hmm. I am looking for um, to, to do that and set that up. If anybody um, has suggestions on that, I would love to hear them. And mm-hmm. the film did get into a festival in Cincinnati called Over the Rhine Film Festival. It's going to be in October. So... Um, that's the latest news. I've been sending it to more places, and I've started a Patreon website to raise money um, so that I can keep sending it to film festivals and so that it would go towards paying um, for me and Charles to attend the festivals. Um, so that a link for that is also on my website uh, for the Patreon. And... Yeah, I look forward to people experiencing the film you know, in a public venue. I feel like that's really the beautiful part of making films, to see a play for people in a public setting, you know, with strangers, familiar faces, and especially if you can have, you know, the the subject of the documentary there to speak about the film. And um, mm-hmm. I really hope uh, the film leads Charles to get more of his writing published to get his play produced in multiple cities and, um, you know, to, to widen his audience uh, for, for people to hear and, and see him um, and his art. So that's that's been what's motivating me with the project from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a fabulous goal because um, Charles is an unsung hero. Well, he's sung, you know, there are a lot of songs about Charles, but... Yeah, he is. you are marvelous, Charles, and I just loved when you would come to my classes at the College of Alameda and and, and do these workshops with my students, these writing workshops, um, and I'm really looking forward to perhaps continuing that this fall because I'm going to be back on campus, so hopefully I'll be able to um, 
invite you in to come do one of your favorites, your, one of your wonderful um, workshops. We have to figure out sort of around, you know, what topic. But they're always really enlightening, and the students really love it, and they get a chance to write poetry too. And uh, and so I was in closing. I was wondering if both of you all could share a poem. I didn't know you were a poet, Jeff, until you just mentioned it. And so I was wondering if you all, you both could share a poem. One that's not uh, a movie. Okay, who goes first? <laughs> who goes first? <laughs> you go first, Charles. High, high tech woman. She painted her lips on a constant basis. Her conversation was always concerning the technology, the computer, until she became a chip. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. She became a chip. (laughs) That's great, Charles. That's so funny. And it's it's really great because the first film, first um, dance we had, she was talking about... um, uh, African-American innovators in technology um, uh, in, in Silicon Valley. And so there's like coming full circle. That's really cool. <laughs> okay. She became a chip. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Kathy Cotton, her film, A Place at the Table, um, is uh, uh, African-American pioneers in Silic- of Silicon Valley. It's going to be screening um, at 12 o'clock tomorrow. So um, your film is at, is it at one? Noon. Yours is at, oh, same time. Oh, man. So you all won't be able to watch each other's films because they're at exactly the same time. Oh, oh well. Well, you can meet each other afterwards or before. Okay, Jeff. I would like to read, um, as a side project of making the film, um, I edited a book of love poems for Charles. Mm. And the idea came up because he he gave me access to a lot of his writing, things that I could potentially use in the film or have him read. And Mm -hmm. um, I had the idea to do a book of his unpublished love poems. We we did about 125 copies. He had them printed in Sacramento, and um, we still have some copies left if people do want a copy. Um, I'm going to read one. Save me one. We will, yes. Um, this one I it, it's kind of nice to end on too. I think it um, continues to promote healthy human connections, especially of the romantic type. It's called Real Lovin'. Hmm. With arms wrapped around and you wrapped over me, I caressing your breasts with fullness of skin, tender mercies we know so well to squeeze the skin against your back and lips that press away, kisses in return, tender mercies, and for a moment, agony and emotions, fears of living, pain of suffering, all forgotten as you wrap me within quiet moments of love engulfing me with those tender mercies we bear. And that's from the collection's called Past Fascination. Past Fascination. That sounds good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I've read it a lot. That's one of my favorites in the book. Um, they're all, I think they're all, they're all beautiful poems. I really 
glad we were able to do this, Charles, this little side project and, and make this book. Yeah. Wanda, you ever uh, hear your poem and say, somebody reading you say, uh, oh, wow, that's great. And they say, oh, yeah, you wrote it. And go like, oh, I, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and we'll have I'll, I'll be there tonight at the poetry reading as well to um, – to support Charles, and, and he'll have copies of the book in case people do want to purchase a copy. Uh, he'll have them on it. So I'm excited to see you tonight, Charles, and at the reading. I, ha- I haven't seen you, uh, I think, read in like a minute, so uh, that sounds fun. I'm glad you're doing that. You, you know, uh, yeah. Wanda, uh, we learn and you fall into the ranks of kind of like we follow after those that go in front of us, uh, Sonia Sanchez, uh, uh, Amir Baraka, Eugene Redmond, not only just to be creative with the pen and the paper, but uh, to make some noise and put up a front against some of the the craziness, the injustice that takes place. And like that opening piece that he you played from the film, background is all the construction that's taking place in Oakland and all this, you know, filthy money just pouring out everywhere and yet and still they can't provide for the homeless. So when the buildings burn, they, they several burn and the people are applauding it because they're saying, you know, you can do this, but you can't you can't do anything to provide for the poor, you know. And so, you know, you and me, I think we learned from the masters, uh, those that, you know, Sonia Chan, Sonia Sanchez, uh, you know, making noise and protests, and Eugene Redmond being with the uh, uh, SNCC uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee Voter Registration Judge, and Ahmed Baraka, who was everywhere in terms of, uh, you know, he actually organized well, one of the first uh, protests against the South African uh, apartheid, standing on a flatbed flatbed truck at Kennedy Airport with a bullhorn, you know, and, and, you know, and on and on it goes, you know. So, you know, it's easy to do poetry and like you was talking about, you know, as I mentioned about being ego chipping, but, you know, what purpose is that going to serve, you know? So you get out there and start, you know, with a concern and putting that concern to work and it, it, it definitely makes a difference. Uh, and, and people, you find out, oh, people are listening, but let's, let's give them something to listen to, you know, to, you know, cause people to move and get organized. Because I was talking to Douglas Ewing just uh, a week ago from uh, Association for the Advancement of Creative Music. And he said, either you organize or you die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Good point, yeah. Well, congratulations to both of you, um, Charles, for, you know, this wonder centerpiece, the wonderful centerpiece which is really great, you know, it's coming out just before um, a really wonderful film um, called Peace of Me. Uh, it's about um, Toni Morrison, and that's coming out in um, two weeks, uh, the 28th. And and so your film is, you know, having its world premiere here in the Bay tomorrow at the uh, part of the San Francisco Black Film Festival uh, 22nd, 21st edition, 21st or 22nd edition. To look at the numbers. 21st. Actually, I can look. 21st edition, right. And um, 
12 noon at the uh, African American Art and Culture Complex in the uh, Burial Clay Theater. Um, and uh, and then you have the reading tonight. Um, but then you also have another film. Like how many people have films screening like globally, like having a film screening? To, is it tomorrow or today as well? Oh, there's the short 10-minute film I made about Charles is playing in London at is playing tomorrow in London at the Rhythm and Views Film Festival. Right, right. So two films in two different places, London and San Francisco. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Are you going? <laughs> are you Are you going to be able to fly out and attend that, uh, Jeff, uh, immediately after the one is over in San Francisco? <laughs> well, then I wouldn't be able to hang out with you though after the screening and celebrate. I, I know I can't go. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get to we'll get to the future film screenings together. I think we'll have to go. You know, especially if it's out of the country, we'll travel together and attend the festival. Mhm. Yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah, <laughs> and looking looking forward to seeing you know your um the work that you're um you're in in uh in production with right now um that you mentioned um. Uh, Jeff, in your bio, I think you're working on something animated, right? Yeah, I'd like to do a piece about sexuality and technology as it relates to community, partnerships, loneliness, interviewing people in their 20s and 30s especially about how that impacts their lives and really to offer some, no ultimate answer, but, but some anecdotes, some possible solutions to help people to have healthier human connections in this, you know, digital age and, you know, the irony of, of the advanced advancement of technology, but people tend to be very anxious, depressed and lonely, you know, these days. So I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to, you know, examine that and really make sense of it and see how people are navigating that and their relationship to technology as it impacts their their romantic love lives. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then Good I work. I just finished I just finished a project about a a jazz musician and he was a writer. He lived in Alameda for many years. His name's Jimmy Lyons. Mm-hmm. And um, he was part of the New York scene in the late. 50s, early 60s. He was a Golden Gloves boxer. He wrote plays at the Actors Studio for Christopher Walken, and he knew Robert De Niro and Timothy Carey. Um, Really, like, for a a while, an obscure literary jazz musician, and he put out an album in 1988 called Night's Music, a really, really great album um, on vinyl, and um, Fortunately, I met him last summer, and um, I started the project in December and just finished it this month. So I'm excited to begin sending that film to festivals um, Mm -hmm. starting this month. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was working on that for a while. And I want to thank you, Wanda, for, for giving us the, you know, allowing our voices to be heard this morning and including us on your show. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Oh, you're too. quite welcome. Oh, you're quite welcome. Yeah, well, you know, don't be a stranger. And um 
Yeah, wow. Well, I have to. Um, I know you sent me information, but I didn't have a chance to look at it about about your other films. You are really busy, like two films at the same time well, are finished. Like, wow. I, I, I really, <laughs> I really, I really enjoy interviewing people, especially and and um, really getting their story and trying to, you know, especially feature people who are making the most of their life. You know, they're trying to make art. They're trying to connect to people. And really, you know, ways to have healthy human connections. I, I keep coming back to that, and that, I feel like that's really important today, whether it's a friendship, creative collaboration, romantic, you know, really to have that um, positive, those positive connections in a, in a person's life, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is important. It's really important. Wow. Well, congratulations, um, Jeff and... Charles on this wonderful film and films I should put plural if people are in London listening, you know, get on over there and see this short tomorrow in London and you can um let us know what you think. Um you can go to Jeff's website. You can come to my website, wandaspics.com and and you know, drop us a note and let us know. Oh, it was so fabulous! And send some pictures. That would be really, really awesome. <laughs> and the same is true for tomorrow. You know, like be a paparazzi. You know, get lots of photos. Record the the response. You know, in the talk back. It's gonna yeah. <laughs> this will be really cool. And uh, yeah, so Charles, have a wonderful reading tonight. And um, if at all possible, I'm gonna try to get over to um, Youth Spirit Arts gallery for the 22nd because I haven't heard um, Kim Shuck uh, read her work uh, you know um, extensively like the more than one poem in a while and she's a wonderful poet love her work and uh, wow, that should be you. really nice yeah thank yeah. you Wanda thank so, you Wanda and hope oh to, you're welcome thank you <laughs> hope, hope, to, hope to see you there okay yeah yeah, yeah, and have a good have a good rest of the day. And yeah, my apologies, I'm not going to be able to make it tomorrow. Told you, Charles, you know, have another uh, another um, commitment. But um, but yeah, yeah, I'll be with you in spirit, and look forward to yeah. uh, talking to you, Jeff, about some screenings in the East Bay. I've got something in mind. Um, we could talk oh, about great. it later. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. All right. Okay. Well, you take good care again. Thank you so much. Charles, since it's been right. so long okay. since that poem that you, you, you shared, can you do another one? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, oh, do 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 another uh, another. Yeah, uh, yeah, we talked so much since then. We don't oh, remember it. Okay. So do another one. <laughs> okay. Uh, standing at the intersection, standing at the intersection of life. I miss my light. I, I miss my light. Slash, I miss my life. <laughs> mm. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, did you want? Did you want? Did you want a short one? Did you want a short one? Or you wanted a long one. <laughs> no, that's fine. We yeah, I miss my life. That's yeah, that's gonna be. We need to think about that one. Um, no, you don't yeah. have to give us another. <laughs> That's really thought-provoking. <laughs> I miss my life. Okay. <laughs> okay. Kind of, kind of spur of the moment. Kind of spur of the moment. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, no matter what, be encouraged. And uh, hope to run into you soon, which I know I will. Mhm. Oh yeah. Definitely. Definitely. We will run into each other on purpose. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, and and while you're there tomorrow, make sure you go into the gallery, um, the Sergeant Johnson Gallery, um, William Rhodes exhibit. Um, uh, what is it? Um, painted threads, uh, sort of celebrating the lives of elders in and Baby Hunters Point, um, mixed with his art. It's really, really, really beautiful. Um, and you, it opened last night, and uh, you, you'll really mm. enjoy Charles um, and Jeff. Um, it's really, really wonderful. So after you all, um, you know, sure you have your screening, and um, before you leave, make sure you don't miss that. And then there's another exhibit on the third floor um, looking at um, cannabis. And it's a really big oh, wow. exhibit. It's like inside and also down the halls. It's huge. A lot of reading, a lot of really interesting comments, um, history, as well as, you know, science around cannabis and the politics oh, yeah. of cannabis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the mm-hmm. politics. Yeah, that, now that's important. The politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Better pay attention yeah. to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, yeah. cool. Well, you all have a good rest of the day, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you all soon. Uh huh. Thanks again okay. for joining me. Okay. okay. Peace be unto you. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. So we are gonna close with a song, and I'm not sure which one. <laughs> so I've got to figure it out. Let's see. Um. Uh, what? would be a great one to end with. Um, oh, Archie Shep. Yeah, I like that one. The Revolution. I love that one. That is so cool. I need to I need to find some other Archie Shep. He's like, do you have any other songs? Like, yeah, I probably do. Um, but I really like uh, Archie Shep. Um, uh, yeah. He's talking um, about, I like the one, Cousin Mary. I really like Revolution. And Arrival is nice, too. I don't remember Arrival, though. So I'm thinking, am I going to play Revolution? I think I'm going to play Revolution. It's a long one, but it's really nice. Um, I like Cousin Mary, too. (laughs) Oh, heck. Too many choices. Hmm. I like Arrival. I think we're going to do Arrival just because we're thinking about Africans in the diaspora, Africans in America, and um, and this 400-year return, and 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 the fact that so much is still the same. You know, um, we think about African presence in the Western Hemisphere, and how folks still are benefiting that don't look like the folks that um, develop the the economic infrastructure that makes. The West so great and so powerful, particularly this, this nation that we are currently a part of, or where I'm sitting in right now, America. America is great because of the free labor <laughs> and the tortured um, enslavement of African people. That's why America is so great. Um, yeah. However, the uh, disenfranchisement and um, uh, and horrific. Um, Treatment continues. So, yeah, I think I'll play Arrival. I don't remember the details, but um, it's like sort of what Archie Shep was thinking about when he did Arrival, but enjoy.
no, I don't want to play that one. <laughs> I think I'm gonna play Revolution. Uh, gosh, I don't know which one I want to play. Um, yeah. Oh, Brother Malcolm, that's a nice one. Archie Shep, that's a really good one. I'm gonna play that one. Brother Malcolm, 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 Brother Malcolm,